got to connect somebody's passion to their purpose. And everybody has talents, Rebecca. Some people just hide them really well. And so sometimes you just dig in and find out how to best help that person find the best path for them to bring out that joy. And that's what those celebrations do, right? Honoring, recognition, those little short wins and the finite game make the infinite game easy. Welcome to Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. I'm your host, Rebecca Corin. And today we're discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart, nursing leadership. Meet Donna Beecroft, Vice President and Chief Nursing Officer at Memorial Hermann Northeast in Texas. Donna reflects on the pandemic's profound impact and how it helped her to grow into a stronger leader. You'll hear an amazing story about finding inspiration in grief. And that's not all. We'll also explore the vital qualities that make a great leader, like authenticity and self-awareness. And finally, get ready for a heartwarming tale that will leave you with a renewed sense of purpose. Let's jump in. Showing up and being present is hard to do sometimes and easy to do others. So the most important thing that I try to do and remember is that being present in that moment and hearing and seeing people in the moment regardless of what the moment is, is the most important thing I can do as a leader and as a human being, let's just be real, that human connectivity. And so I try to pause for a couple of minutes before I go into my next event. I always tell my husband, it's kind of like, you think you're multitasking, right? We all think we're great multitaskers. I'm such a great multitasker, but really you're not. You're just doing different changes, right? Your mind's making changes all the time. And so what I've tried to do over the last, especially over the last couple of years of COVID, is just really tried to be present and stop and pause. And I've even been one at a meeting to say, let's take a couple of minutes and let's just dance, or let's listen to some music, or let's have a reflection, or tell me something that is really memorable today, because what we do is so heavy sometimes, that it's nice to take the weight off, set it off to the side, and remember that we're first and foremost people, and that the care of each other is almost more important than the care of our patients. But that presence is so essential. I know we talked about this before, Rebecca, but one of the things I've learned this last year is that you can be a different person every single day and you can change and you can evolve. And I know that I've said this so many times to my team, but I'm under no obligation to be the same person I was five minutes ago. And that evolution and change of who we are as individuals is essential and it helps us to be present. So I'm a different Donna than I might've been two years ago, but essentially core the same, but yeah, I just, I don't always get it right. One of the things that you do, I think so beautifully is this ability to kind of disarm people so that they feel that they can be whatever version of themselves that they are in that moment. And I think that gives people the ability to dance. I'm very, I would love to be a fly on the wall at that meeting, <laughs> to dance, to sing, to, to joke around prior to getting down to business and how important that is for us to shake off what we just showed up. I was thinking about that as we were having this conversation today, like how do you shake it off? And then we're here, but now we're here in this moment. And I feel different than I did 10 minutes ago before we were talking. I tell you, authenticity is the best thing you can do for anybody, especially yourself. And I really learned this as an executive because there was always this vision of what I thought I should be like, do like, and look like, and act like. And always thought I could never be that person. And I'm me. And that's the most important person I can be. 
And I've heard over the years, Rebecca, it is said, oh, you show me that it's okay to be me and be an executive. It's okay to be authentically yourself and transparent. And I make mistakes, but I own my mistakes. And I'm going to stand in front of you and tell you how we could do it different or just lean in and figure out how I could have done it different from your perspective. So Mm. yeah, disarming is a good word. I think what I do is provide safety. It's okay to be yourself and not worrying about stuff because everybody's working really hard and we all want to do the right things. And we rely on 700 people to do the right things with us. And so sometimes you just got to brush off that levity a little bit. Absolutely. It's the end of Women's History Month. So I feel like I have to bring this up as you're talking about people sort of feeling almost like getting the permission to just be themselves as a leader. Cause it's something that I know that I personally have had an experience with over time of evolving into maybe the leader that I am now, but also who I want to be in the future. I think we're always evolving, as you said, as women, how do you think that kind of plays out and what advice would you have to young female executives or aspiring executives? That's a great question. Be you, be confident in who you are, but you got to know yourself. Don't assume you know yourself. Do the work. Do the work to know yourself. I tell you, the last couple of years I've been preaching about, you got to do some self-awareness and you got to get in and you got to meditate and do all these things to my team and trying to teach them about self-care. And I wasn't listening. I wasn't doing it. And so I sat back and I thought, how can I teach these things? And I had done these things. That trying to self-reflect and to know who you are, know what your strengths are, be confident in your strengths and quit apologizing. As women, we apologize for everything and own everything that you do, good and bad. So a fresh, young professional that's a female, just the biggest thing that they can do for themselves is self-awareness, own it, know it, journal. Take Mm -hmm. time for yourself, have a vision and plan out that vision a little bit. And it could be step-by-step. You might not know long-term, but have a vision of what you want to look like in your mind and just go to it. You know, it's so powerful, Donna, to say, I was telling all my leaders, we got to meditate. We got to be mindful. We have to get to know ourselves. And then you realize you're like, I'm not doing that myself. What can I do differently? First of all, how did you realize that? And then what did you do about it? Okay. So it was like December and I was feeling a little bit heavy and I'm intrinsically an optimistic person, but I wasn't feeling like I was driving my teams. I didn't feel like I had a lot of energy. I really felt like I was wanting to crawl into a hole and call it done. And I was doing a presentation and I was talking about self-awareness and something in my mind was like, you hypocrite. So I decided I was going to practice what I preached. And so I actually got a book, Rebecca, this book called 75 Hard. I don't recommend it for the faint of heart, but it's a program about mental discipline. And I started with that book and did 75 days of very intense discipline. But the best part about it, some physical discipline, like two exercises, you had a lot of water, no alcohol, but that's another conversation. And I had to read 10 pages of a book and it had to be a self-development book. And I started with really focusing on who I was as an individual. And I started journaling while I was reading and then really started to discover all the things that I had let build up and started to meditate. And then I shared it with my team. So several of my team members have went on the journey with me. So we are evolving as a team. We are changing. And it's been a really great journey. And I could have done it had I not started to listen to what I was telling everybody else to do. So there's all these, we have this whole thread called the strong thread. And there's all these good inspirational things that are coming out. 
from affirmations that you can every day to prayers to challenges. And it just really provided a different energy in the room. But the energy, the best part about all of this is every day you had to take a picture. And you're like, oh, why am I taking this picture? So you're standing there, you take a picture. And about halfway through it, and I'm feeling stronger. Like my stance is very Wonder Woman-ish. Like I'm feeling stronger. And my husband looked at me about halfway through. He was taking my picture one night and he said, your smile has changed. And I sent the same picture to my daughter who lives in Florida. who's 26. And she texted me back and she said, you're glowing in the picture. What are you doing? And that internal light was reflecting out with the joy that I was feeling by letting go of some of the narratives, the stuff that you hold on to that people say, or the, I got to be better, or I got to look like that, or I got to do that, or comparing yourself to others. And those narratives, oh my God, we kill ourselves with our thoughts and our narratives. Letting those go really did help. Wow. Beautiful story. I got chills. That's an amazing story. Yes. And also just letting out your light. You let that shine through that personal work. And that's amazing. One of the things that I know we've talked about before is the grief that's come along with COVID and how that's impacted our psyche as an industry and especially, of course, in nursing. And then this other piece of how you've managed to continue to harness the sort of positive outlook and empowerment piece, self-empowerment. Can you share a little bit about your journey with grief as a leader through this really challenging time? And now that you know we're in an endemic state, how does it continue for us? COVID has been very powerful for lots of reasons, right? I just share a simple story with you or not simple, but a story with you. So March 13th, 2020, we received our first patient as I was a CNO in a facility in Austin. And we received our first COVID patient and the world changed for us. The world was changing for everybody. The world changed for us. And it was a young guy, very young guy, not your typical COVID picture. And quickly we got inundated in our ICUs with COVID. And within a week, we were watching our first patient take some of his last breaths. And I remember sitting outside of that room, watching my two nurses inside of their cappers. And they were taking care of this patient who was all alone, no family, nobody could be by him. And they were, had the family on the iPad so the family could be there. And they were saying goodbye with that family. And for so long as healthcare providers and as nurses, we've been able to step away from a family when they're in grief. And we facilitate, right? We just provide you a safe space to be with your family member. Now we were right in the middle of it, Rebecca. And I watched my nurses. I watched the energy in the room circle through my nurses. And I thought to myself, this is going to change us forever. This is going to forever change who we are and how we practice. And I watched them just provide all of this love and all of their energy as they just, oh my God, as they weep with his family. When they came out, they were so heavy. Yeah. And not so torn by what we, they had been through that you could just feel it in the room. And we knew that everything would change. And that's where we started from. And I made sure, I remember hugging my little nurse friend. I just remember hugging her when she came out and she was so worried about me, Rebecca. She's like, go change your clothes. Go change your clothes. I don't want you and your family to get sick. Oh, gosh. And I remember trying to support them and care for them. And that grief that we felt about 
the loss of connectivities with families, the loss of connectivity with our families. We had these rituals as we came into the house, the loss of connectivities to visitors. It changed everything and it, it provided us the space to remember why we do what we do. Because we forgot. I think the airlines do it best, right? Put oxygen on yourself, then on the next person beside of you. But in healthcare, we would run in the room and think about our safety last. Yeah. And we had to switch that mindset. And so that grief was so real. And I tell you, there's so many times, Rebecca, I wanted to crawl underneath my table yep. like, and be done with it. And uh, why am I doing this? Why am I in healthcare? But I would look at my teams. I would look about everything that they had gone through. And really, my heart was to try to save them and protect them and to make sure they had everything they needed, because what they needed was so important to me. So really, the grace that my nurses were experiencing and making sure that they had what they needed became my big passion. I needed to take care of them and I needed to help them and I needed to provide them space for decompression, space for themselves, space to be able to grieve and just care for them differently. They became my patients. And so that grief for me, I had to bury that down and take care of them. And so I slowly started to work through the grief, probably in the last year and a half, as we've moved through pandemic, all through the surges, all four or five of the surges, really started to identify that there's a lot of good that has happened, obviously not loss of life, but a lot of good that has happened with COVID. And then how we were able to adapt and pivot and care for our teams differently and the mental health support that we were able to give our providers and give our nurses really has changed across the industry and has really made it really helped me be able to help them and then be able to help my own journey as I move to wellness. When you think about wellness now evolving as a person, you already talked about the way that you've been talking to your team, how you've taken that inward and really made changes yourself that stick in all aspects of your life. And now to think about the rest of all the nurses that you support all the way down the chain, how do you convey a message that helps people want to evolve, but still respects their experience with grief and honors wherever they are in that grief journey, which we know there are many stages and everybody's in a different point, even right now, it's not over. How do you do that, Donna? <laughs> Here's how I do it. And I don't know that it's the best way, but it's the best way I have today. Tomorrow might be a new day. But that presence in a space with an employee, a team member, a colleague, anybody that's experienced them to allow to see where they are in their grief cycle and to honor the grief and to honor their position and to make sure that I hear them. So active listening became my new favorite thing that I could do. I don't have to fix it. And they don't want me to fix it for them, but they know that I've seen it and I walked alongside of them. So they don't have to tell me too much. It can be one or two words and I can understand it. And then I think as we move through over the next year or so, this evolution of our workforce has changed. So some of our team members that are now at my site have never experienced it. Mm. They weren't in healthcare yet when it all started. So they've just graduated. And so it's that respectful immersion without suffocating them so that they know what their peers are going through and have went through and preparation for how they can walk into a conversation. So where we're at now, our community has changed, our nurses have changed, 
And so it's adapting and meeting them where they are, which has really become super important these days. And when you have new nurses, I'm thinking about onboarding. I think it's such an interesting area right now and how folks are really trying to do it differently to make sure people can still build personal connections when they first start at work and have those relationships and then want to stay. The first year retention at the bedside, there's nothing more important than that for our hospitals. How do you look at onboarding and what are some of the unique things that you're all doing to make sure that folks feel like they have that relationship and that they can be their full authentic self and honor the experience of others. Like you just said, even if people who are brand new green into nursing. I'm so glad you asked me this question because I'm super proud of this work. So we here at my site last year at this time, we had a 57% turnover rate and now we're down to 12. Wow. Very intentional and very methodical about this. So let me tell you what we've done as a whole. And this is not the Donna story. This is the team story, but I'm here to represent it. So a couple of things that we've done is we've been very intentional about hiring for the right fit. And people use that term a lot, but we're trying to make sure that you can articulate how you will care for people when they're the most vulnerable. So I can teach you a skill, but I can't teach you to really love people and care about people. And so we're looking for people with particular skill sets like volunteering and care for their community. And we do different draft days here. So when we do bring you on board, you can see everything that we have here at the house so that we can keep you within our system for as long as you'd like for the rest of your life. But even before that, I call you. So you come in, you interview the team members do a shadow shift. They show you what it's really like. They take you on the unit. They really try to personalize your experience. And then once you accept an offer, I reach out and welcome you to our family. We make sure that we touch you and make sure that we are finding out what you love. What fills your tank? Do you like chocolate? Do you like this? Do you like that? And try to make it very much so you start to feel like part of your team before you even get on board. And then when you get on board, we've matched you up with your preceptor you've already met before. Your preceptor and you have a relationship even before you hit the floor. And then we just go from there and make sure that we meet with you monthly to see how it's going. Our team does a great job about these touch points to make sure that you're getting what you need. You don't have any questions. And then we meet with you as executives in 30 days, like 30 days. Hey, was it what you thought it was going to be? Is it everything it is? What do we need to do? And then I meet with all the brand new nurses, 30, 60, and 90, right along those continuums to make sure that they're doing well. And then we celebrate. We like to party here. We like to engage our team members and we like to celebrate all the things that are fun, like rodeo because we're in Texas. So <laughs> we're all about making sure we have fun at the same time. Celebration and joy is so important. I believe that this is a silver lining of COVID. I think that joy is now actually being identified as something that we were really lacking in a lot of ways. And as a result of having the experience of the pandemic, now it's almost like we have a pass to really go after joy in our organizations. Nobody ever talked about it, right? We didn't talk about joy. Right into the pandemic, it was like the joy of the work, of the joy of nursing or the joy of healthcare. And now it's quantifiable, right? There's lots of surveys out there. There's some research out there that talks about the joy of the work that you do. You gotta connect somebody's passion to their purpose. And everybody has talents, Rebecca. Some people just hide them really well. And so sometimes you just dig in and find out how to best help that person find the best path for them to bring out that joy. And that's what those celebrations do, right? Honoring, recognition, those little short wins and the finite game make the infinite game easy. But I love the way you said that. When I think about celebration and that feeling of, wow, like I belong here. I'm really being celebrated in the way that I want to be. I'm being valued in that way. 
a lot of it does come down to uniqueness. Is my uniqueness kind of being accepted, being honored here? And I feel like this is something that you have really been able to honor so well. Can you talk about maybe an experience in your life, Donna, when you know, your uniqueness was appreciated or when you appreciate someone else's uniqueness and what that did to that moment. So let me start with somebody else first and then I'll tell you a little bit about me. So I can remember vividly like it was yesterday. So I was brand new in leadership, had just really started as a manager. I had been a charge nurse before and there was this young nurse, her name is Kristen and she was not doing well and everybody wanted to give up on it. And I was like, there's something inside of her. I met with her and I talked to her a little bit and she was on my unit. And I asked my director, I said, let me take her. Let me work with her. Let me see if I can help her. And her and I worked really hard. I had some very specific things that she had to meet, but I met with her and I listened to her about what would work well for her. She was so burdened that she was not going to be successful as a nurse. She was a new nurse. She was feeling no confidence. So I just allowed her the space to become her. And at first, you don't really see it. As a leader, you sow these little seeds, kind of leave. But I'll tell you, I watched her blossom into a wonderful nurse and then into a wonderful charge nurse. And then probably about five years ago, I was in my office and I get this little knock at the door and it's her in a suit, just looked wonderful. And she sat down and she said, you have no idea the difference you made in my life. I'm here today and I'm interviewing for a trauma ICU job. She's like, I never would have been able to do this if you didn't have faith in me. I said, you didn't need to have faith in me. You needed to have faith in yourself. That moment reminds me of why I do what I do. Because sometimes we impact lives that we have no idea, like our actions and our words. When you talk about how you help somebody see joy or authenticity, I've got to live it and do it. I've got to be transparent when I make mistakes. I got to be okay to do that because if my team doesn't see it, they're not going to feel like they can do that. And that moment I knew that I got to always stop and be present. That's a moment in time for me that I really seen her and I feel like anybody else did. And I still follow her today. So I'm watching her grow and just become this magnificent leader. And she just is wonderful. I've been very blessed to have intersected several nurses' lives that has impacted me too. I just really felt like I experienced that moment with you just now when you explained how she walked in the door and was wearing that suit and interviewing for that ICU role. I mean... Wow. The way that you saw her or you saw the opportunity for her. And then when she believed in herself to see what she could do, that is a beautiful thing. Donna, can you share a little bit with us about a moment when you felt seen what you did for that nurse that you've helped mentor? Yeah, that moment came for me from a CNO that I love to this day. Her name is Elizabeth Frieda Bowling. She's exactly the leader I wanted to be, and I hope I'm making her proud, which I think I am. So we met, and she's seen in me more than I had seen in myself. She really helped and took the time to hear me and to provide those little soft touches and the little adjustments I needed to make and maybe presentation in front of groups of people or presentation of self, or sometimes my energy can get away from me, stifling that just a little bit in order to be the best possible me in front of others. And she took the time to know who I was and what my goal was. My goal was never to be a CNO. My goal was to advocate for the whole. Like, how do I help more people? Like, what can I do that can help more people? And she took the time to really coach me in such a way that was with love and thoughtfulness 
And it was for a very short period of time. She was my leader for probably about six or seven months. And then she left the organization, but she impacted me in such a way that when she tapped me on the shoulder about a CNO job in Austin, I didn't think twice. I went ahead and I thought, if she thinks I can do it, I can do it. And that's how I moved into leadership, into senior leadership. And now I try to help others with that same thing. Pass it along. And when you think about advocacy, things that you're like, this is where I'm advocating for my nurses right now. This is what I see as my number one purpose to really fulfill where we need to get to advance care. How do you see that now? The two most important things that I'm advocating for my team right now is workplace violence mm-hmm. and workforce strategy, like in workforce development. So my advocacy is shifting a little bit. So advocacy is here at the system level with a sort of an organization that believes in both of these initiatives. But I've also had the opportunity to go to Texas legislation and testify on behalf of my nurses. And so I'll take their stories and make sure that their stories are passed along and make sure that our representatives know what it feels like to work in an environment where you don't feel safe and you're caring for people. Those are the two things I'm very passionate about because if I can provide a safe place for my team, a safe place for them to be able to work and the right team members beside of them, then the rest of it is just that beautiful stuff that comes with as you develop teams. But I got to have that framework first, right? And feeling safe is the most important thing that we can do so that people can actually be their best selves and be authentic. Because I think if we live in a world where there's constant state of fear, we're going to be in fight or flight mode. We cannot show up in our best self. There's no way. So it's not only just safety for workplace violence or physical aggression or sexual harassment and all that stuff, but it's also safety to be who I am, yes. who I love, what I believe, when I stand for, what I look like. All of that is important for my team to feel safe in. That's how you really make a culture of belonging. And I'm thinking about the retention improvement that you guys have seen. That massive drop, which is really, I feel like, unheard of, is probably a major testament to this culture work that you're really leading. Yeah, I tell you, we have been on this journey to try to ensure that there is a good, safe environment for our teams, first and foremost. And I love the idea that you did identify this culture work is ongoing. It's never going to be finished. This is an evolution that continues to grow. And every day, as we continue to move and we continue to move forward, we say, oh, we have more to do in this space or more to do in this space. But yeah, I tell you, I'm so proud. The team has done such amazing work. I think it's a testament to them, absolutely, but also to you. So if I could take a minute and also give you some celebration around that amazing leadership, it's really tremendous, Donna. You've done an awesome job. If there was one quality that you think a young aspiring leader needs to possess, what would you say that quality is? Vulnerability. Vulnerability to me is the ability to be authentically you and to allow the space for others to do so and to not always have to be right and to be curious and courageous. Renee Brown puts it perfectly. And so that to me, that one word just encapsulates it all. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.